Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. So we're going to be talking about the firstborn and a couple of great other principles uh, and really see what God has for us this morning. I'm going to tell you right now, um, I want you to have this thought. Uh, throughout the whole time while we read this and while we uh, look at everything. He loves us first. He loved us first. Before anything happened, before you were even created, he loved you first. And so if you just keep that in mind uh, throughout this chapter, it's it's going to be so powerful. But uh, let's pray and then let's get into the word and see what we've got today. Um Lord, we just uh, we just thank you. We come before you uh, uh, as a group on this platform here and uh, reading your word um, and diving in. So, Lord, we just pray that you uh, you be with us. You um, uh, open our minds, um, soften our hearts, uh, make both our minds and our hearts sponges to absorb your word and uh, absorb your lesson for us this morning. I surrender myself as I normally do uh, that just use me for uh, your lessons for your people and for all of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. All right, get that um, sip of coffee and let's dive into Exodus 13. Reading out of the New King James as I typically do. Um, uh, Verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day, you are going out in the month of Abed, that's basically March and April. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day, There shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven itself be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your sons in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. 
You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of, of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your sons ask you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord of all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, least perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people uh, around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Atham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of the cloud by day or by, or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The word of the Lord. So we've got a, a lot of unpacking in here. And right at the beginning, we see that he's talking about um, consecrating the firstborn. Um, that it's mine. That he's, now everything's God's as it is anyway, right? He created everything. All of it is ultimately his. But we saw at the very beginning in, in Genesis that we as humans, as his uh, creation have dominion over the world and over animals and everything but this is something that god is saying is just his like i i this is mine i need you to understand this is mine but there's always a heart issue in that right if i give you a handful of something but i say a portion of that is mine you got to give it back and there becomes like a, hey, you know what? 
thank you for all of this. I have no problem giving you that portion back. I have no problem with that because you abundantly care for me with all of this. What, what is this really to me when, when you do so much for me? We can have that attitude, which that should be the attitude we have when we see this whole idea of that this portion of what is provided is his and needs to go back to him. But sometimes we don't. We don't consecrate things. We sometimes don't want to consecrate ourselves. We want to just do whatever we do. For consecrating is to set apart, but not set apart for any old reason, but to set apart for God, to set apart, to make it holy, to make it devoted to him alone. To consecrate is basically, it's an action. It's an action to show devotion and love towards God above all else. Whether you are consecrating yourself or you're consecrating some item, you are setting it apart and showing devotion that God is above all other things in your life. Are we consecrating ourselves to God? Consecrating doesn't mean just setting it apart and just doing whatever. It also means that that thing is not used for common or whatever uses. So like when they were making um, anointing oil, the base of anointing oil is olive oil. When you take olive oil and you say, this is going to be anointing oil, it doesn't get used in mama's cooking. It doesn't get used to uh, grease things or oil things and lubricate or do whatever. It is set apart only for the purpose of anointing. It's set apart for a holy purpose, for a holy means. Very, very specific. It's not ever used for common or whatever uses in your home. That's what this really ultimately means when we see that, that we're, he's saying, consecrate this. Now, for us, when that means for saying, I'm going to consecrate myself, that I'm setting things apart, that I'm, I'm pushing things out that are not beneficial to me, that are not drawing me closer to God, that are not uh, improving my relationship with him, they're distracting from that relationship. Because, of course, we got to do common things every day. We ourselves have to do certain things. We have to drive to work. We have to do whatever. But in the midst of our day, in the actions in which we take to consecrate us as people for him, what are the things that are distracting? And then what are the things that are attracting? When we make those two differences in the actions and what we do in our life, we need to get rid of the detractors and get uh, more of the attractors to God. That's what consecration means. That's what ultimately God is saying when we're talking about consecration. Because we talked about the firstborn uh, a while back and that um, the firstborn isn't always. Now we're going to get into the very practical and religiosity of firstborn that he talks about um, 
midway through this chapter and saying the firstborn and the males and everything, but let's look at the application and the principle of this. And that ultimately, remember, Jesus was called the firstborn of all of creation in Colossians 1.15. Jesus wasn't created, but he was called this. It was a, it's like a position, uh, if you will. It's a, it's a title uh, of preeminence. It's a high title to be called and considered the firstborn. David, King David was also considered the firstborn, but he clearly wasn't. He was the youngest of multiple brothers. So much so, so much that he was even like forgotten about or put purposely pushed aside by his own family. And they came and said, hey, they were going to anoint the new king out of his household. And they're like, uh, no, uh, no, uh, no, wait, there's another one here. No, no, there's no nobody else. No, where's the other one? And King David's out there shepherding as a young boy. And they say, that's the one. That's the one we're going to get. So it's not physically always the literal firstborn. It's more of a, a chosenness, if you will, by the Lord. But there is some physical application, and they they use this at the very at the beginning to really show uh, what God is doing in God's heart behind things. And that's usually a lot of what we see in the Old Testament is really some physical applications to demonstrate the principal application of God's heart. So we get into this where he's saying, "Hey, we got to talk about this feast, though." The Feast of Unleavened Bread. First, it's dictated to be in a specific month of a bid that's typically March, April timeframe. This coincides with Passover. This coincides with Easter. This coincides with the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's going to be a lot of parallel right here with what we see. No leavened bread or leaven at all within the sight of anybody. So right before this, if mama made a fresh uh, thing of bread in the home, and it's got all that leaven, and it's rised up, and it's looking beautiful and crispy and all of this, and you're just like, oh, yeah, you better get rid of it. Before that festival, <laughs> you better get rid of it out of the house. Chuck it to the birds or eat it up, one of the two, um, and get rid of all the leaven that cannot be within sight. And you know, man, Pastor John really talked a, a good one yesterday. Um, but as he, he was talking about, and and forgive Pastor John, he's he's not a cook, right? He he's not the the cooking type, but man, he is a really, really good taste tester. He's a really and how many how many really good taste testers do I have out there, right? So we know what tastes good. Okay. So um the point is like, hey, there's when there's leaven in it, uh, when there's yeast in it, when there's what's rising it up, it's this pride. It's a symbol of pride. Pride comes before the fall, right? Pride is ultimately kind of the 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 gateway or the entryway or even the root of predominantly 
all of our sins. And there's some level of pride within it. I, uh, you know, or if we indulge in some kind of um, sinful act, there's kind of a justification sometimes we want to say in our minds of, I deserve a little bit of this. I deserve whatever. And that, that's just another so, uh, form of pride. It's just another source. And so this is the whole idea of getting rid of pride, being humble before the Lord, consecrating yourself. This is why that chapter started out with this, to consecrate to me. And this is a way of doing it, of getting rid of leaven, getting rid of pride in our lives for seven days. This shall be, you know, and they say, why do you do this? Your sons and your and your children and your daughters and all your the next generation and the next generation, they're going to ask you, why do you do this? Why do you have seven days of that flat, nasty bread when we could have that puffed up, beautiful, yeasty, uh, wonderful smelling bread? Why do we do this to ourselves for seven days? And then at the seventh day, then we have a big feast. Why do we do this? He gives you exactly the answer you should give to the next generation. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. I'm going to tell you, this is the new thing that we should be saying. When we do communion at church, when we go to Easter Sunday and we celebrate his death and resurrection, even when we have Christmas and when we do baptisms. This is done because of what the Lord did for me. When he went up on that cross and he delivered me from my sin. May that be the thing that we say to our generations of why we do and celebrate the way we celebrate. May that never be lost in us, our salvation. May that never be lost of what the Lord has done for us in our hearts. Because he loved us first. I just, it just really, it's really hit me this morning with that is just, Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the in the physicalness of doing all of these things. And um, you say, why why do we put so much into things? Why do we why do we emphasize doing baptisms? Why do we emphasize doing communion? Why do we emphasize Easter and and, and put so much forth for it? Why do we why do we love Christmas so much? And why do you know some people hate Christmas? Why do, why do we spend so much time? And I'll say, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when he went up on that cross and delivered me from my sin. No matter what time of year, no matter what kind of season we're in, no matter what kind of issues you're going on in your life, May celebrating the Lord, may celebrating what he's done for us never be lost on us. May the importance of it and, and the ultimate idea and understanding that we get to do all of this 
in a free manner because of what he's done for us on, on that cross. That all of this, that why I love the book of Exodus so much and getting to see all of these things that point to what Christ did for us on that cross, that ultimately all of this is just giant, immense, wonderful, uh, amazing symbolism and what God is doing with his people here to ultimately show and portray what God has done on the cross for all of us. Because he loved us first. Because he loved us first. May that never be lost on any of us. May our salvation never get old. May our salvation never be something that's just uh, taken for granted. May our salvation never be just something that I just put in my back pocket and part of my everyday carry around. May it be the thing that is not only just carried around, but it's shown to everybody that I'm saved because of what the Lord did for me, that I'm taken care of because of his sacrifice, because I'm unworthy of it. But he loved me first so much that he did this. May that never be lost on us of how much he loved us first. So may we consecrate ourselves for him. May we put our effort in everything to celebrate in remembrance of what he's done for us. May that never be a burden. May it always be a joy. May it always be a joy. And may we pass on that joy. People wonder, like, man, Nick, you're crazy. You put that 12-foot Christmas tree up on November 1st. And you, and you jump around and you celebrate with it. And I do. I love the joy of it. I love the family part. I love the everything that there is around Christmas. But so much more so that I understand why we celebrate the coming of our Lord. Because not just because he was born as a cute baby, but because of what God was doing, because he loved us first. And we see later on that when he's talking about the, the law of the firstborn, this perfect example here says, where is it? Here it is. Verse 13. But every firstborn of a donkey. Understand a donkey is unclean. And a donkey is unworthy. A donkey is not a... Pure, purebred a donkey is just it, it's it's kind of like a, a mutant if you will it's 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 a mix it's it's not clean it's unworthy but every firstborn of a donkey and we're all donkeys and you shall be redeemed by a lamb You shall be redeemed by a lamb. We are all redeemed by Jesus. God loved us so much that he even sent his only son to be able to redeem us all. May our salvation never, ever be lost, be taken for granted.
may it never turn into some relig religiosity kind of thing either. May it never be something that, oh, look at me. I'm so, I'm so holy. I'm so wonderful. I'm so, I do all of these amazing things better than other people. So I'm more holy than you. So we see this principle and it's talked about twice in here where I'm going to jump back a little bit. And it says, um, in verse nine, it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord, uh, Lord's law may be in your mouth. So what happened here, this was the, the beginning of um, where you saw, if you ever see like good, good Jesus films or like on the, uh, uh, the chosen and stuff like that, you'll see that they have the box on their forehead or they may have it strapped around their hand with a little box, right? Um, usually the Pharisees and all of them. And they would, uh, and it would be, that's where they put scripture. They put scripture like this, where in verse eight, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up out of Egypt. And then some other scriptures in Deuteronomy, um, they would have like little pieces of paper with scripture written on it in those boxes so that it was a sign saying, look, there, I have the Lord's word on my mind or on my hand, hands being meaning the symbolism of deeds, that I'm doing the deeds of the Lord because of what he's done for me, or it's on his words or on my mind. They're, and so if they're in my deeds and they're on my mind, they're in my heart. This is the whole meaning of what he's talking about and what the Lord is trying to command here is that may his word, may his actions, may what God has done for you be on your mind and be in your deeds, be in what you do, that we command the flesh and the flesh does not command us, that if those two things are happening, then it's in your heart and out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, as Jesus talked about in Luke 6 and 45. That's the whole principle that God is trying to get to us is that if we're thinking about it and we're doing it all the time, then that's what's on our heart. And then out of our heart is what the abundance comes out of our mouth. That's what God is trying to do. But what they what happened was even Jesus started talking against the Pharisees for this very principle, because what what happened was they would uh, take this box, but they would they would make it gigantic. They would make it so good. Look, look at all the words of the Lord that's on my head. Oh my gosh, I'm so cool. I've got this giant box on my head or this huge thing on my hand. Like they were making it bigger and they were making it more ornate or something. So it looked more religious. It looked more like you were better than me and you were you were more holy than me and you you had a more religious spirit than me and all of this kind of thing. And they were trying to like lord over the people with with such symbolism like that and jesus went against that in matthew 23 5 he was saying like you know what are you doing that you would have these bigger ornate boxes to try to look better uh, and you're not doing it because you love me you're doing it because you want to lord over the people you want to do it because you want to look holier than thou it's self-righteousness not his righteousness and they would also, and what he also was talking about is garment, like I have a prayer cloth right here, and they would just sit there and they would make the borders, the edges of their borders and everything much bigger and more ornate to look more holy. Understand that we still do some of that in church today. 
if you don't have certain gifts of the spirit, you're not holy enough. There's certain churches that talk like this. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not chosen by God. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not picked by him. If you don't have certain gifts of the spirit, you're not good enough. I'm going to tell you that 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 is the religiosity, the I'm holier than you, I'm more chosen than you spirit right there. May And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about, the Pharisees. And that pharisaical heart is still happening, unfortunately. May that never happen. Understand everyone gets different gifts because God has a different path for every one of us. And you'll get different gifts at different times in your life. You'll be able to do certain things at certain times because, or all your life. However, that is God's choosing because he has a separate path for you. He has a, a separate path for Jen. He has a separate path for Christy. He has a separate path for Doug. Uh, he has a separate path for every single one of us on what to do to help build and usher his kingdom here on earth. May that religiosity spirit of, oh, you didn't get this, but I got it, so I'm better than you. If any of that ever is n n absolutely not. I'm telling you, any, I, that's a litmus test right now. If you ever move and you have to go find another church, and if that's happening in that church, that's a litmus test right there. You need to seek another church. That that over-pharisaical heart is happening within that church. Because all that does is strike division in the body of Christ. This is, this is also a thing that's being later on, that the Satan is going to mock exactly this principle that God is talking about, where it's on your mind and on your deeds, that God is in your heart and through that your mouth will speak. This very principle right here, Satan will specifically use to mock that with the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast will be either on your forehead or on your hand. And though by accepting that, that's what ultimately will be in your heart and will come out your mouth. This is it. Satan loves to twist God's word. And that's exactly what will happen, as it says in Revelations 13, Revelation, excuse me, Revelation, I don't know, that's so annoying, Revelation 13, 16, it's just one revelation, I don't, so many people say revelations, and uh, that, that's a, that's an annoying, <laughs> that's a pet peeve of mine, um, I just pray that all of us just remember that, number one, God loved us first. God loved us first through all of this. He just wants you to see and keep in mind him above everything else. That's the whole principle here of all of this. The whole principle of the firstborn, the whole principle of this feast of unleavened bread God loves you so much, he's even looking ahead and de derailing you purposefully from things you think are the right way to go. As he talks about in the last portion of this chapter, 
and he took them the long way. When they go into the wilderness and they leave in Israel, uh, or Israel leaves Egypt, we see that God knows better. But the question is, do you believe that? Because sometimes our actions and our thoughts don't necessarily reflect the belief that we know that God knows better for us, that God knows what's ahead of us, that God already knows what's going to trip us up and what's going to make us run away. Because here we see that he said, hey, I'm not going to send them by way of the Philistines, although that was near, otherwise that was easier, that was closer, that was better, that, and that would have been faster to get to uh, Israel you know, or get to the land of milk and honey, get to all of that, moving Israel into that. Although that was near, God said, least perhaps the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. When they come against adversity, when they come against something hard, when they go, oh my gosh, we have to stand up and fight. When we, oh my gosh, we're, we were just slaves. How, how are we going to have to fight other people? You got to be kidding me. Uh, and I'd rather just go to Egypt and, and keep making bricks. You know, like I, God knows what's ahead. And so he said, nope, you're going to go to the wilderness. You're going to go to the desert. There's nobody you need to fight. There's what I need to fight for you. There's lessons to be had. There's benefits, long-lasting benefits to be had. And you have my promise. But too often we want to look at what's the better, the faster, the easier way to do things. And sometimes that's that it may be the right way to go, but there are other times where we question why God is leading us in a certain direction in our lives. We question why God is leading us into an area that may seem completely unconventional, completely beside what uh, we would naturally think or want to do. No, God's already gone before that. God already knows that that's going to be not the best way. Yeah, the grass may be greener on the other side, but guess what? It was spray painted. He knows that on that other side, on the way you want to go, on the, on the way that looks easier, faster, or better, there's no life lessons to be learned. When things are super easy, what'd you learn? Just to keep doing the easy way? Just to keep doing whatever? What uh, what lasting benefits? Maybe there's a short term. Oh my gosh, I got that done, yay! But then we move on to the next thing, and we and there's the benefit of whatever it was was very short lived, basically unworth it. And there's no promise when we go the quick, easy way that maybe it's not what God wants for us, but it's it's the shortcut that we think. God's, God doesn't have any problems in that. God's way comes with his promise. God's way comes with his promise. 
if we're sticking out with his way, if we're walking in his path, if we're taking the lead in which he's showing us, his promise, his love, his protection, his provision, his anointing comes through that and comes with that. Know this. He loves you. And he's not going to send you anywhere that doesn't come with his promise and doesn't come with his love and doesn't come with his lessons of life that are going to benefit you, that are going to make you better. God knows what he's doing. Let's trust him. Let's trust him today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning. May, may to, today and forever, we, we never forget your sacrifice that you've done for us because you've loved us first. Lord, may we never forget what you've done, that, that it never be lost on us, that it never be a burden on us, that it never be um, something that we just, oh, you know, these these celebrations, these times, these whatever, that the effort going into it never be a burden, but be a joy because of what you've done for us. May we never take our salvation for granted. Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done. And we thank you for all that all of your love and provision. And we thank you for all of your life, life lessons and knowledge and discernment. Lord, we just we thank you for all of it. May we use it wisely. May we continue to follow in your footsteps, Lord, today and not our own. May we just lean into more of you and less of ourselves. So, Lord, I just pray a blessing over everybody on here and listening to this later on that that we press into you, that we consecrate ourselves to you, that we add more of the attractors to you and not the detractors. Lord, we just love you so much. This is in your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Have a great Thursday, everyone. Love you all so much. Can't wait to see you this weekend. God bless and take care.